0: All right, back on the Young Turks, tonight on the post game, which is in the second half hour of this hour, Anna's gonna come back, we're gonna talk about some secret Miami stories of when we were there, including a young Turk who might be a little bit of a superhero. So check that out if you're a member, tyt.com slash join to become a member. And by the way, also old schools tonight, we've moved it to Tuesdays for now, we're gonna go like that for a couple of months. Uh, so it'll be around 930 uh, tonight, as, as a lot of you know, sometimes we do get started a tiny bit late because of all the shows that we're doing. Uh, but uh, tonight, old school, old school, me, uh, Jesus, and JR. Uh, so I think you guys are gonna love that. I got a whole bunch of new old school stories for you guys. That's also uh, easiest to view. Uh, you can get the whole show and in video and live, if you're a member, tyt.com join. All right, let's go to my uh, first guest here. Joining me now is Zubin Demania, he is the founder and creator of Z Dog MD Industries. Fascinating. All right, Zubin, uh, welcome. What in the world is, first of all, Z Dog MD?
1: So, Z Dog MD, uh, by the way, thanks for having me on the show. Z Dog MD is a character that I created around about 2010 uh, as a physician. I was at Stanford for about 10 years and just saw all the failures of our healthcare system to do its primary job, which is actually keep people healthy. So I created this character as a way to kind of, uh, it was a kind of a cry for help. I try to un- unleash my inner weird, creative, weird Al type character and start making videos on YouTube. And the reason I called it Z MD is it has two Gs because one is necessary but not sufficient to be a gangster. Uh, and also because Stanford <laughs> okay. wouldn't know it was me, even though it was me on the, on the screen.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they know now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they have been viewed. Uh, hundreds of millions of times uh, so that's it's, it's amazing uh, but let's talk about the core of the issue that you were trying to bring attention to uh, first of all you talk about health 3.0 and I want to understand what that is what's but let's back up what's healthcare care 1.0 2.0 and what what do you want in 3.0
1: so a good way to think about one point, I was that old uh, doctor-patient relationship from the 20th century where you knew your doctor. It was this sacred human relationship unfettered by bureaucracy and intrusion, also unfettered by science and thinking about bigger populations and thinking about equity and thinking about uh, you know treating people the same and non-hierarchically. So in that 1.0 world, we saw a lot of beauty, but there was also a big struggle. So 2.0 was the response where business and industry and government came back and said, you know what, medicine's a business. It's not about this, these cowboy doctors and their human relationships. Let's use measurements and uh, electronic cash registers, i.e. electronic health records to measure and quantify and adjust the assembly line of healthcare. And in health 2.0, that's where we really are now so many of us feel like commodities, especially the caregivers and the patients together, it's still expensive. It still has terrible quality compared to the rest of the world. And even the rest of the world struggles with the same problems we do. So 3.0 said yes and to the beauty and relationship of one without the paternalism and all that garbage. Yes to the the, the science and the data and the technology of two and the process improvement and the safety uh, uh, science. But The new emergent is repersonalize it, make it team-based, out real outcomes that matter to patients, bring the heart of it back and use technology to enable the relationship not to obstruct it. And then you have something truly transformative. The unique patient at hand is cared for as well as his or her position in the broader picture of their zip code and their environment and the social determinants of health and all the other things that we know have a bigger impact on our health than a doctor sitting in a clinic.
0: So Dog, I did wanna ask you about this one stat that I'm amazed by. Only 27% of a doctor's day is spent on clinical face time with patients. That can't be right, is that right?
1: You're right. It can't be right. It's probably less than that. I think that's probably an overestimation. Most of our time is spent clicking boxes in an electronic health record that is really a glorified cash register and government compliance tool. It's not a care delivery device. And so we spend all this time being our own data entry clerks, uh, so that we can get paid because the insurance companies won't pay us, Medicare won't pay us if we don't click the right boxes instead of the eye to eye contact with our patients. And I'm sure you've been to the doctor where they're looking at a computer rather than talking to you and you you feel like a number. Well, you know what? The doctors feel the same way. I felt like I was entirely expendable and replaceable as a raw material in an assembly line. And that has to change before we're gonna fix healthcare.
0: So I'm, I'm curious about all these uh, in your lived experience as a doctor. Um, what's got more red tape? Private insurance or Medicare?
1: You know it's funny. Uh, private insurance takes its cues from Medicare. Medicare feels wonderful because it covers people and it's 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 actually lower administrative overhead, but it sets the sort of prices by fiat by a committee of specialists and other people that set the prices, and then private insurance kind of ties themselves to that. So going through this administrative bureaucracy of trying to get paid by private insurance is really hard. Getting paid by Medicare is easier, but it actually has its own unique problems. So the answer is probably a, 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 a mix of kind of getting rid of a lot of the administration, finding the science of what actually works and then paying frontline caregivers to actually just do the right things for patients and getting outcomes that actually matter and it's it's it seems really complex but you can actually simplify it to that so the red tape is all over the place right now
0: so zubin let me press on that medicare pays less than private insurance is that to doctors is that true in most cases yes okay and roughly how much less
1: so it depends on the location. So it varies regionally. All healthcare is local, but uh you know it's something like 60% in some places, sometimes less. And many physicians wouldn't be able to make a living purely on Medicare with their current expenditures. Now, of course, most of what we do in medicine is unnecessary. I'm gonna repeat that. Most of what we do in medicine is unnecessary. So we're paying for things that aren't even needed, that are probably over treatment over testing. So if we actually got rid of that, we could actually lower costs and actually do it for less. So I think it's less about how much we're getting paid than are we paying for the right things.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to get that on the record because we had Eric Bowling from formerly of Fox News and currently the blaze get into a debate with us a couple of days ago during the Miami debates. And he said Medicare pays doctors 11% of what private insurance pays them.
1: It really, yeah, and again, I won't get into the politics, I'll say this, there's truth on all sides of of the political spectrum on healthcare. There's some truth, it's all partial, no one has it all figured out. It's not, again, so much about how much we're paying, but what are we paying for? If we get the care model wrong, it doesn't matter whether it's cheap or expensive, it's a waste. Yeah. You have to fix that.
0: Although, Bowling is wrong. <laughs> okay.
1: yeah, and eleven percent sounds low. That sounds really low. Yeah, of course, nobody it's preposterous. Would then nobody. You think of Medicaid. Medicaid can get that low sometimes, but Medicare, no.
0: No. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then, I want to talk about one other thing: squeezing doctors. And and here I'm. I'm a little vague, and that's why we have you on, of course. Um, so there's the pressures that you get from the filling out the paperwork, and you've got the, you know we talked about all that. But, I feel like doctors are also being squeezed by other factors, hospitals and and other corporate forces, but i'm I'm not sure. So,, uh, what are some of the other forces out there that that uh, are
1: squeezing you guys? Oh, it's a great question. So, yes, the corporatization of medicine has turned physicians from independent practitioners into corporate employees. Now, that's not always bad because in a good, collaborative, physician-led corporation, you can actually get that lift from your teammates in a way that you could never get in a private practice. But unfortunately, in many organizations, it's about the bottom line, which is, can we make a profit? Can we squeeze as much productivity out of our doctors and frontline nurses and respiratory, everybody else, as we can? And then it becomes a horrible dehumanizing experience for clinicians who went into this to help people. I have this sort of rant that I get on that we're not burned out. People say "Oh, physicians are burning out. It's not burnout. That's victim shaming. It's moral injury. We are good people forced to be complicit in horrible acts that hurt our patients, meaning we can't care for them. We can't give them, we don't have the tools, resources and autonomy to care for them. And we have corporate overlords who care about only money. So as a result, It hurts us inside on a moral way, and we manifest that by emotional exhaustion, cynicism, poor accomplishment, all the signs of burnout. So we have to fix that if we're gonna save this generation of physicians and nurses and others to provide the care that we know this country deserves, but we haven't been able to do yet. So I'm very
0: curious about that, Dr. Damanio, because so who are specifically the corporate overlords? Who are the corporations that doctors interact with or report to?
1: So you have obviously the old legacy insurance companies. You have big health systems that are uh, contracting with the insurance companies. You have the pharmaceutical industry, which is a big legacy system of corporations. Then you have the government, which actually funds roughly 50% or so of healthcare overall. and that feels like a a corporation when you're trying to deal with it. And so it's many of these things, then you have medical devices and all these other things. But in truth, I've met wonderful people at all levels of all these entities, but they're in a system that's so intractably related to, we gotta hit next quarter's numbers, that they can't look at the big picture, which is, you know what, you can do well financially by doing good for patients, and it makes it affordable in a way that we can cover everyone in this country Uh, And we can get there but we have to look beyond the short term thinking that that, that we're really known for in America.
0: Yeah, I think you put your finger on something that uh, a lot of people uh, also have in their gut, uh, which is absolutely based on logic, which is that whenever you're working for a corporation, whether you're working at the cash register at McDonald's or you're a doctor. They will maximize profit, that's what their job is. And one of the ways that they maximize profit is by paying their employees less or paying their providers less. And so doctors are being squeezed, It's it's not you're not imagining it. And that is so that corporations can maximize their profits, which is logical. But one that we should be careful about if we're representing the people of America. Okay, so in the time that we have left. Uh, I know you you have a little bit different take than, than others do. How do we fix it?
1: So the way we fix it is first, we have to fix the care model. We're the only country that really values our specialists above our primary care preventative uh, folks. So first fix primary primary care instead of 5% of our healthcare care dollars, it ought to be 10 or 15%. We did that with our own clinic in Las Vegas called Turntable Health, which we ran for three years. We went out of business because nobody else was doing what we did. We weren't plugged into a bigger ecosystem. So we were alone and too early. So the idea is fix primary care, prevent disease, make it team based and collaborative. So health coaches drawn from the community they're caring for that care for these and understand the social determinants of health, that your zip code is more important than your DNA code in your health and more important than the doctor or anything else. Focus on that, then you can control the downstream specialist spend and the admissions to the hospital, make hospitals a cost center rather than a profit center. It should be a failure to be admitted to the hospital. Control price gouging, like what air ambulances are doing to people, and surprise balance billing. And if you do all that and you value the the caregiver side of it too. So in other words, we take care of each other because we need to be safe and healthy and mentally stable before we're going to care for others. If you do that, it's going to shrink overall costs, you're going to improve outcomes. You're gonna be able to pay for it in any mechanism you want. Whether it's employer mandate, whether it's you know a government single payer, it doesn't matter what it is. You'll be able to afford it and it'll have good outcomes.
0: All right, everybody check out ZDogMD.com, although I think a lot of you already have. <laughs> and So check out the videos as well. Zubin Demania, thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, now when we come back, John Ziegler, he's a conservative who does not like Trump but believes that Democrats should pick Biden if they wanna win. I disagree, we're going to have a fun conversation. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, Joining me now is John Ziegler, who is an interesting cat. Uh, He is very conservative, Uh, he is uh, very much against Donald Trump. Uh, He has written for uh, The Daily Caller, Breitbart. Uh, But also having the post in Mediate. And now we're gonna have a fascinating uh, conversation about Joe Biden and whether he's the right candidate for Democrats. By the way, I should also mention freespeechbroadcasting.com is where you can find John as well as a host. All right, John, welcome back, brother. How you doing?
2: Thanks so much for having me. This should be interesting.
0: Indeed. All right, my case against Joe Biden is Joe Biden. Uh, so just look at what he's done over the last week, it's been an epic disaster. So I'll let you start first. Well, What's your case for Joe Biden as a more electable candidate?
2: Well, first of all, I don't even like Joe Biden. I think he's a gaffe machine, uh, I disagree with him on almost all major issues. Uh, but I think you and I share, I hope we do, a, a primary goal in this 2020 election, which is that the cancer that is Donald Trump be removed from the presidency of the United States. And the best metaphor I can come up with is uh, we have a cancer and what it appears as if at least the progressive wing of the Democratic Party wants to do is to propose a sex change operation instead of a cancer operation. <laughs> and that's my biggest problem here, is I think you guys, understandably, and you know this is the way that liberals seem to work, they go with their feelings, they, they wanna be excited, they wanna fall in love, uh, instead of actually getting the job done. Now, I believe, That beating Donald Trump is a national imperative. It's a national emergency. And when your house is on fire and you have only one child in the house and your only child is about to burn up, when you go in to save the child, you don't stick around and try to find the money that you staved underneath the bed. You get the child and you get him out of the house. Joe Biden is the safest, most direct route to getting the child out of the burning building. And that's Joe Biden, because we already know this election is gonna be decided in four states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida. And by far, by far, especially in Pennsylvania, especially in Florida, Joe Biden does better than any of the major contenders. There's only only four or five people that can win the Democratic nomination. And of those, Joe Biden is the one who most safely, most predictably defeats Donald Trump. It might not be that exciting for Democrats. Uh, it might not be good for ratings for the media, but it does get rid of Donald Trump, and to me, that's the primary purpose
0: yeah. here. So, John, your analogies were weird, uh, <laughs> but I'll leave them alone. Uh, so let's let's talk about the the core of it. But you didn't state any facts there, John. So you keep saying, oh, "I got Biden, plenty." Of- no, that's okay. That's why we're going to have the conversation. You keep saying Biden is more electable, but uh, without any evidence. So. Uh, Number one, the person that lost to Donald Trump was Hillary Clinton, as centrist Democrat like Joe Biden. So why we have one incredibly important data point, which is that centrist Democrats lose to Donald Trump. So the one part we definitely agree on, and you're right about this, is that we must, must, must beat Donald Trump. So I don't wanna take any chances. That's why I don't want it to be Joe Biden, cuz that would appear to be making the same exact mistake we made last time.
2: Well, I understand that, and I think you're misreading it. First of all, in 2016, we had the Russian influence, which may or may not uh, still be in play in 2020. Uh, you also had the Comey influence, which clearly will not be in play in 2020. I think without James Comey, Hillary Clinton wins Pennsylvania, uh, wins Wisconsin, wins Michigan, and this is a ball ballgame. Uh, to me, I, I, so it's, it's unfair to say that Joe Biden is exactly the same as Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton had some unique problems with regard to likability, especially in a place like Pennsylvania, which is ironic since she had Pennsylvania roots. But I believe that, and I'm, a, I'm someone who grew up in Pennsylvania, I know Pennsylvania exceedingly well. Pennsylvania is a place where Joe Biden is going to play a hell of a lot better than Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren or even Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg. That's just the facts of it. That's just the reality. The polls show this consistently and no, constantly and overwhelmingly. And so if you're going to seed, no, tell me this thing. If you're going to seed Pennsylvania and Florida, I'll give you Wisconsin and Michigan. Tell me the candidate other than Biden that wins a state other than Florida or Pennsylvania because you need a big one. And if you don't get a big one, you're gonna lose. Which is the candidate and what's the state?
0: Yeah, first of all, there's two different answers to that. First of all, almost all of them beat Trump and Handily, and that's according to the polling. That's
2: in a popular vote, okay. that's not electoral college. And,
0: and And secondly, if you're asking who's the most electable candidate, and not based on my opinion, but based on the polling. Currently, Biden and Bernie Sanders are tied, beating both beating Donald Trump by 12 points, which is a yeah. monstrous lead. Okay, now third of all, if you get into my opinion, which is also based on the polling, but based on the polling of the issues, the Democrats stand a far better chance of winning Pennsylvania, Florida, and all those states if they actively fight for the policies that are incredibly popular. So for example, 76% of Americans wanna raise taxes on the rich. Elizabeth Warren would do that, Bernie Sanders would do that, I'm not sure any of the rest of them would do that. And Medicare for All, just a new poll came out, even after all of the negative press and all the negative attention, not just from Fox News, but CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, they all crap all over it. And still, when you explain to people. Yes, it'll take away your private insurance, but you will still have the same provider. It's at 56% approval. So it's actually deeply popular. You know why? Cuz in Pennsylvania and Florida, they're sick of low wages, they're sick of their kids not having health care, and they actually want someone to do something about it. And these candidates say, we're gonna bring you that positive change. Whereas Biden says, I'm not gonna bring you any change. That's a terrible strategy.
2: Cenk, this is not the way uh, modern voters actually vote. Uh, With regard to Bernie Sanders, I would venture to guess that a majority of Americans don't even know that Bernie Sanders is not a member of the Democratic Party. So you want to take a, refer- a referendum on Donald Trump, which is what a 2020 election should be, a referendum on whether you want four more years of this insanity, and you want to take that referendum and you want to make it a referendum on socialism versus capitalism with an old Jewish guy. Good luck with that, saying, good luck. There's no way that's going to work, whether it's Pennsylvania, Florida, or whatever. You, you're, you're taking an easy victory, a referendum on Trump and you're turning it into one on socialism. You are ceding, the liberal progressive wing of the Democratic Party or whatever the liberal movement you want to call it is ceding to Donald Trump patriotism, capitalism, maleness And whiteness—that's a recipe for winning the 2040 election, not the 2020 election. You got to wait until a lot of competent white males die, which is going to happen soon. You ought to be just patient. You can this strategy will work great in 2040, but it will not work great in 2020 against Donald Trump.
0: Yeah. So, John, again, I dispute the facts. So, or or as you're stating them as obvious, and they are not. So, let me explain. You say you want a referendum on Donald Trump, but that's exactly the campaign that Hillary Clinton ran. But it turned out it wasn't a campaign of Donald Trump versus you know, a blank slate. It was Donald Trump versus the establishment. And the American people were so angry, so frustrated that they said, and I remember this bumper sticker, it said, Meteor 2016, and that's exactly what they got. They got an orange flaming meteor. And they preferred that to the establishment candidate. In this case, Joe Biden is the establishment candidate. We already had that fight, and we already lost that fight. I'm never going to make that mistake again. Whereas, in the case of a
2: enjoy the next four years of Donald Trump, because John, you keep saying that, but without any facts to back it up. I'm just warning you of what's going to happen. See, you you guys don't understand. I'm, I'm not asking for people to uh, cater to never Trumpers like myself. We are, we're we're one percent of the population at best. That's not it. We are people who understand Trump's appeal to Middle America. We are warning you the wrong way to go about doing this. You are underestimating the problems that Hillary Clinton had as a personal candidate that Joe Biden does not have. And frankly, I I, I hate this as a as a, a father of two daughters. Being a woman was one of them. For whatever reason, America does not like electing a woman president. The facts are pretty clear on that. Joe Biden is not a woman. So, so therefore, it is not an analogous situation to place him as the Hillary Clinton of 2016. There are some significant differences, but more importantly, Who's the replacement, who's the better path, who is a safer path? There's nobody of those who can win the nomination that I've already mentioned. That You still haven't told me which state they win other than Pennsylvania and Florida, which are off the table in my opinion, if you don't have Biden as your candidate.
0: Okay, look, I'm gonna give you specific answers and then talk about again philosophically why you're wrong. The specific answers is Bernie Sanders. Is up in by double digits in almost every one of the states that you mentioned. Now you can't believe that because of your perspective. He's not gonna be the, nominee. But, gonna be the nominee. but John, you're asking me, and I'm telling you facts, I'm telling you polling. I'm telling you, you can't believe John, listen.
2: Can we revisit twenty sixteen real quick on Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders was never seriously considered by the majority of the American people because they never thought he had a shot against Hillary Clinton, and that's accurate. Therefore, they don't even know he is a socialist. And if he's the candidate, it's a referendum on socialism. And oh by the way, Donald Trump. Trump is going to spend every single rally reading those wacky pornos uh, essays that he wrote in the 1970s, Bernie Sanders
0: did. John, Donald Trump. Have fun with that. Good luck with that. Donald Trump sexually harasses, assaults, and I'm rapes not saying women. He's rational. I'm telling <laughs> you what's going to happen. Hey, okay. and, and John, you keep repeating things as if your perspective must be correct, but you're wrong. First of all, all that. Uh, the, the media has ever talked about in regards to Bernie Sanders as socialist, socialist, socialist. And do you know that on election day, they did a poll back in 2016 of Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump? Sanders won by 12 points. So yes, now I know they would have run a campaign. I know they would have run a campaign. But Bernie Sanders would have also been part of that campaign. He would have gotten the punch back and he had a 12 point buffer that Hillary Clinton didn't have. He so
2: was never seriously considered by by
0: the you, by American the American people he was very seriously considered and the polling indicates that. You keep telling me that the American people are wrong, but it's just they not true. And Show me a poll that 90%
2: of the American people know that Bernie Sanders is a socialist and then I'll- start That's listening all that to anyone ever
0: says about Bernie Sanders. Well, but
2: that's, that doesn't mean that the American people know it, <laughs> 40% of the American people pay no attention to the politics at all, zero. They have no clue and then so they tune in in a presidential election, which Bernie Sanders was not part of.
0: John, so last thing here is we're out of time. Is Look, you mentioned Bernie Sanders Jewishness, you've talked about America's not ready for a female candidate, and you mentioned whiteness earlier. But John, I heard all of these things when I advocated for Barack Obama over Hillary Clinton. And everybody said there's no way that America's gonna elect a black guy, let alone a guy named Barack Hussein Obama. And yeah. you guys were wrong about that. And and I've heard all of this naysayer okay. stuff before. But what the media is ignoring, and I think in this case you're ignoring, John, is that people actually care about the central message. And the central message that Obama had, which I think was slightly misleading in his case, was change, which is what people want. And they cared about that more than they cared about his middle name. Or his complexion. And in the case of Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, what they're saying is, no, we're gonna bring you a lot of change. We're gonna bring you higher wages, we're gonna bring you healthcare, and we're not part of the establishment that's been screwing you for 40, 50 years, and we're not this monster Donald Trump. That is a winning strategy.
2: Well, I'll give you this. If you can find another Barack Obama, who's an amazing order and a tra- tremendous campaigner, and you can put him up against uh, McCain Palin, and you can get an economic collapse at the perfect time, you might have a shot of beating an incumbent president, Donald Trump, which John McCain was not. It's not analogous to 2020. You don't have Barack Obama. You only get one Tiger Woods. You had your Tiger Woods, and now you're about to let Donald Trump get reelected because you're looking for another once in a lifetime candidate. Which was Barack Obama. So good luck with that.
0: All right. John, you know, last time we did a segment together, we agreed on Donald Trump, giving people a misleading impression that we agree overall. I'm glad that we have disabused people of that notion today. <laughs> I think we did accomplish that, Jake. All right. Animated discussion. Everybody check out freespeechbroadcasting.com. And and John also writes on Mediite. Thank you for joining us, John. We appreciate Thank it. You. All right, when we come back, the fun continues. We got a post game where Anna and I are gonna talk about some fun things that happened in Miami, including a possible TYT superhero. You'll see what we mean. And then we got old school with me, Jesus and JR, all tonight for the members, tyt.com slash join to become a member. We'll see you over there next.